Well, true confessions, this is your chance. Anybody still got your Christmas lights up? Anybody? Come on. Yeah, there's one. I knew there'd be somebody that has their Christmas lights up. Um, tradition tells us that they're supposed to stay up until and come down at 12th night. Right? You may not be familiar with this. It's Epiphany. And the church calendars, when the wise men are celebrated their arrival um, at, at the birth of the Christ uh, there. But I have a neighbor that still has, my next door neighbor still has their outdoor Christmas lights up, bright, going strong. And I, this morning, I, I want to say, I think that's the way the Apostle Paul would want it to be. Okay? I know that's the way the Apostle Cresswell <laughs> wants it to be over here. Uh, but I think Paul would love it if the, if the Christmas lights were up all year round. Let me see if I can explain that for you. If Christmas lights, at their best, herald the good news of the coming of Christ to dwell among us and rescue us by his death, then we ought to have that message on display all, all year long, right? And the Apostle Paul is all about that. Maybe not with literal Christmas lights, but with the ornaments of our lives. Um, that's the way the New Revised Standard Version puts the last verse of our passage today. In Titus chapter 2, verse 10, it says, So that in everything they may be an ornament to the doctrine of God our Savior. And so in, in, in our passage today, you can turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Um, Paul is showing us how to live in a way that decorates the good news of God's salvation in Jesus all, all year long. Right? So to do that, he's going to walk us through five categories of folks and share what their decorations should look like all year long to declare the beauty of Christ to the world. And so find your way to Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament and I'll, I'll pray for us as we do that. Lord, be kind to us now. Um, speak to us through your word. Show us the life you have for us, that we might walk in it. Amen. Amen. All right. So chapter, this is chapter 2 of Paul's uh, brief letter to his friend and church planning partner, Titus. Titus is charged by Paul to strengthen the churches there on the island of Crete. By appointing elders in the churches. And elders um, and pastors, that language is interchangeable. Some of you were puzzled when Jerry Lasseter introduced himself last week as a pastor. The language is the same, 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 elder, pastor. So we have lay pastors and uh, vocational pastors here at the church. Um, so far, Titus has largely been for us a book of lists, right? There are like 20 traits of an elder. 15 traits of a false teacher, and today's is a list of about 25 traits of lives that, lives that adorn the gospel of Christ. And uh, the concern is visibly representing the teaching of Jesus um, by our lives, right? Three times Paul's going to bring up in these short ver few verses in chapter 2 about how our life reflects the beauty of Christ to the world. In verse 5, he's writing to young women, and he says they that the word of God may not be reviled by their lives. When he writes to Titus in verse 8, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And lastly, 
in verse 10 to the slaves, really to the whole church there, in everything they may adorn the doctrine or ornament the doctrine of God our Savior. And <clears throat> this verse is where that decorating idea comes from, right? Verse 10. Like a jewel in just the right setting, like a picture in the ideal frame, so ought the gospel be in the life of a Christian. All of these are intended to enhance the beauty of the thing itself. So our passage starts with this charge from Paul to Titus, verse 1 of chapter 2. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine with healthy doctrine. In other words, Titus, teach these Cretans how to live and by their lives show people Jesus. Right? And so to do that, as I mentioned, he's going to deal with five different groups of people um, and explain how to keep the decorations out by virtue of the way they live as followers of Jesus in their particular stage of life. There are like 25 traits here. So I'm going to have to be brief in what I touch on this morning. I'll try to post some fuller discussions this week on our leader blog for you to look at. Um, but today I want you to see the broad, kind of broad brush strokes of the life that you need to live, right? He's addressing all of us this morning in these categories. In your stage of life, to decorate the doctrine of God our Savior all year long. Um, this is great fodder for praying, Okay. For praying for yourself, you're going to learn some great ways to pray for you and people who are in your stage of life at North Wake this morning. The first group he addresses is in verse 2. It's the older men. Older men, he says, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So he's got six traits here for older men. Now, historians guesstimate that he's probably talking about men who are 50-plus here. So we're talking about grandpas, okay? These are traits for grandpas here, okay? And uh, if you are 50 plus, brothers and you're here today, raise your hand, would you? Just stick your hand up, right? All right. Guys, this is for us, right? He's talking to you and me right now. He has us in his sights, and he's calling us not to give the latter stages of our life to silly things, but to have our priorities straight, to be solidly demonstrating faith, love, and steadfastness, he says. And that's a curious trio to put together there. It's um, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. What we would have expected Paul to say is a more common trio, faith, love, and hope. But instead, he says, faith toward God, love toward all, and perseverance to the end, steadfastness to the end. Paul may be emphasizing steadfastness here by that swap, the idea being that we older men need to finish well, okay? not to fall into sin in our later years, not to sit on the sidelines of the church when we're most needed and the church desperately needs godly older men. We're to finish well. Um, each year, there's about four dozen athletes that gather in Minnesota for the St. Croix 40 Winter Ultra. Runners spend good money, it says, to embark on a 40-mile ultra marathon at night in January in Minnesota 
while pulling a sled packed with 30 plus pounds of supplies. In this environment, you can literally die from standing still for too long. Over 25% of the runners will not finish this race. Most of these will drop out at a very interesting point. Participants reach mile marker 24 of the 40, checkpoint 24, between 10 p.m. and midnight. If a runner plans to take on the last 16 miles, he or she must prove they have the skills to stay alive in the case of an emergency. So they have to stop, set up their bivy sack, it's a body-shaped tent that envelops their sleeping bag, and climb into the makeshift bed, waiting there around 30 seconds, and then they pack it back up and they leave. Now, that sounds like the easiest part of the race, but when the temperature near zero and you're covered in sweat, coming out of a very brief respite in a sleeping bag, the temptation to just stay in the bag is strong, right? The most dangerous thing a runner can do in a race like this is to stop. And guys, retirement is like mile 24, right? You can just want to stop. And Paul says, be sound in steadfastness, older men. Right? Finish well. Now, traits he mentions, it's interesting, they're not unique to us as, as older men in the church. They could apply to anybody in the church, really. Um, so I think Paul is telling us here, be exemplary in living the Christian life. Folks should be able to look up to us. Brothers, the church cannot afford for us to be set in our ways. We must be setting the pace for becoming more and more like Christ. And by the grace of God, we can do this. We can become more and more like Jesus, even at our age. God is slowly changing even me, and I am now officially old as dirt. So we can do this, right? We can change. How? And that's a multifaceted question. How do we change? But at the center of character transformation is prayer. That we take these six traits and we pray that Jesus in his great mercy would shape us to be this kind of grandpa for your family and for our church family. Right? We would be these men. We must pray about these things. To fail to pray about this is to fail because God drives this change, not us. Now he moves from these older men to a second group he addresses as older women. I prefer to call them mentor women. It seems safer to me. <laughs> okay? So, you know, essentially you're grandmaable, right? You're at the age where you could be a grandma, whether you are or not. And now, uh, bravely, how many of you fit in that category? You could be a grandma. Yeah, raise your hand. That's okay. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. This is for you. This teaching is for you. In verse 3, he says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So our North Wake mentor women, right? You are to be reverent in your behavior. It's a descriptor that's used elsewhere of priestesses. Holy women who are mindful of God and his presence. He singles out 
Two areas of concerned prohibition here. Slanderous speech, think gossip. And too much wine, think addictions. Both are inconsistent with a life that bejewels Christ. And if one of those two things dings you, then you need to have a conversation with a trusted sister in Christ and get some help getting free. Because today these lists, they ding us all, right? Everybody's going to get dinged today. It's what you do in response to the ding that matters, right? Now, mentoring is a big emphasis here for our mentor women, obviously. The language of teaching and training younger women is not necessarily formal. It is necessarily relational. The church needs you to build relationships with the younger women in our church for prayer and counsel and encouragement. Our younger wives and moms need you in the game to do this. Um, Christy Anyabwili tells of her experience in this area and on her blog. And she challenges older women in a way that I cannot. She, she begins by retelling the story when she, uh, as a new Christian and a new mom, realized she needed someone um, that she could lay her life before and get some encouragement and counsel. As a, as a new believer and as a new mom. She says, I, I felt like I needed a spiritual mom, someone who could help teach me and train me to live for the glory of God in all of my life. And so she found a lady that she was interested, whose life was beautiful to her and she desired to, to be like, and she took her out to breakfast. She had already had her order prepared so that she could have this conversation with her. She orders her food and she asks her, would you be willing to mentor me in my faith? And this is how the lady responded. She said, honey, I'm honored that you would make such a request of me. She said, but I have to say no right now. I got my grandkids keeping me busy and I have to work, so I just don't think I have time right now. And Christy says, okay. She's embarrassed. She's hurt. She tries to play it off. And I try to let her off her hook. She says, I say, that's okay. I understand. But she says, I didn't. And she said, if your schedule changes in the future, you can let me know. And she says, I wasn't hopeful. Um, I finished that breakfast as fast as I could. I drove home in a flood of tears. And in that moment, I made a promise to the Lord. I said to the Lord that by his grace, she said, if any woman ever came to me in my local church asking me to mentor her or to walk with her or to disciple her or whatever word she was using at the time, I would never say no. I would find some time, some way to invest in her life. She goes, fast forward years later, I'm in conversation with the same godly woman who told me no, and we're talking about the needs of discipleship amongst younger women. And she says, she got very quiet, and after a moment of reflection, she said, you know, honey, I remember when you asked me to disciple you. And she said, honestly, I had never been asked that question before, and I didn't know how to respond. I wasn't too busy for you. I was scared because I didn't think that I could do what you were asking of me. And she said, baby, I'm sorry for how I responded to you that day. And that conversation, Christy writes, left me thinking and praying a lot about how older women could be encouraged to embrace their calling to train younger women according to the instructions of Titus 2. She goes, I wanted older women to take the bold steps of faith to mentor, and I wanted the younger women to take the bold steps of faith to ask for her, 
for help, rather. And to be clear, I don't see, she says, bold steps as recommendations. I see them as requirements for every Christian to be making disciples and teaching disciples and living as disciples. And then she says this. She says, ladies, trust that the Spirit will do his work in and through both you and the woman that you're discipling. Don't try to be perfect. Just try to be faithful. Faithful to the word of God. Faithful in prayer. Faithful in your commitment to the women that God has placed in your life. So Paul says that you who are older are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. And if you're in that mentor woman category, I'll post Christie's blog this week to encourage you to, to think about these things prayerfully before the Lord. Paul next turns his attention to those younger women, kind of continuing that thought. So if you're a wife or a mom, you're not in the category of a mentor woman yet. Could you raise your hand? This is you out here. All right. We have a number of you here this morning. This is for you. Paul is writing to you. Verse 4, train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So this list helps mentor women see the key areas to encourage and equip in. But it also gives you the areas you need to be mindful and prayerful of at this stage of your life as a young wife and mother. You remember back in chapter 1, Paul's talking about those false teachers and how they were upsetting whole families. Um, It may be that they were especially targeting or impacting these younger women and enticing them away from their vital responsibilities at home. From our modern perspective, this teaching can be hard to grasp and harder to embrace. But it's clear, isn't it, that as a young wife and mother, Paul wants you to prioritize your home. It's how you can best adorn the doctrine of God, he says. Paul is calling you to this. In our day, When moms are pulled in every direction except their home, you can see how this priority is of vital importance in our day just as it was then. And this teaching can be hard for us to grasp and harder to embrace. But clearly, Paul wants you to prioritize your home life. Because this is so counterculture, it raises for us huge, really important questions about this language of submission which is foreign to us, whether working at home is an ironclad prohibition from working outside the home. It's, it's likely not. Here's a good reflection on it from Professor Tim Chester. He says, it's not that younger women cannot have a career, but if they are wives and mothers, home is the primary place where they are to serve. The call to be busy at home is not said just to counter the temptation to be lazy at home, but also to counter the temptation to be over busy elsewhere, to look for a life beyond the life God has given to you. So I've asked our women's ministry leaders this week to post some helpful links for you younger women to explore these important questions. But I can again say for your stage of life, it truly portrays Christ as beautiful for you to Focus on loving your husband and children as a huge priority in your life. 
And as a husband who's been a, a massive beneficiary of this for, for someone who's made this loving sacrifice for our family for nearly 40 years now, even when she's working outside the home, I would add, I can speak for every husband and child in this room when I say this is a huge, needful blessing for us. We need this from you. It blesses us incredibly. And oh, does Christ ever look beautiful these days to those who see you doing it well. Now again, the context, Paul says, for growing and flourishing in these important matters is mentorship with an older woman. Not anything formal necessarily, but someone that's survived your season and is living it well, pursuing Christ. Someone who can pray for you and encourage you and point you to the scriptures that will sustain you. And I pray that God grants you that, every one of you that, during your time here at Northway. The happy hunting grounds for mentors, ladies, are our women's ministry events, our small groups, our adult classes that are starting up this morning. You will cross paths with these mentor women there and have a chance to get to know them and see if that's who God might have you um, learn from and be encouraged by. And again, ladies, I hope you'll look for those posts from our women leaders this week to encourage you in these important matters. Next is young men. Um, so brothers, if you're not in the grandpa category yet, raise your hand. All right. This is for you. Okay. This is for you. You, you might want to take notes because the instructions for you are especially complex. Uh, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Yep, that's it, guys. Just one thing. This is all you have to do. Be self-controlled. Now, I know the ladies are thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> Us younger women get like seven things. And these guys, one of the seven is being self-controlled. So we get self-controlled and six other things. These guys get just that one thing. And so I, I imagine this scenario, totally imagine this scenario. Paul's writing this letter. As he's writing this letter, he looks up and he sees young moms. They're loving their kids. They're caring for their husbands. They're doing laundry. They're preparing meals. They're, they're praying all, multitasking all at the same time. And so he writes seven beautiful instructions for them. At the same time, he writes seven beautiful instructions for young men. And then he looks up and he sees a group of young men playing the first century equivalent of video games. I don't know, maybe dice. I don't know what they're doing. And he's like crosses out six. He just leaves one thing. He, these guys can only do one thing, right? It's a thing that um, it's not unique to young men. Elders are called to it in the first chapter. Um, older men are called to it. Younger women are called to it. It's a fruit of the Spirit of God. But being self-controlled here is targeted at you, younger men. Paul is targeting you with this. It must be very, very important for you in Paul's mind that he would just give you this one thing. And it's a, it's a broad term, has lots of room to play out. It, it has the idea of not being distracted, of not being impulsive. Interestingly, it was used of, you may remember the story of the Gerasene demoniac who had demons cast out of him. And after that, they says he, he was clothed and in his right mind. 
right? He was self-controlled. It's kind of the idea there. It includes the ability to resist temptation. And the story I'm going to tell has the gender wrong, but the application is perfect, so I want to tell that anywhere. There's a lady from Omsk, Russia. She's reportedly suing McDonald's over an advertisement featuring cheeseburgers and chicken nuggets, which she said caused her to break her fast during Lent. She's an Orthodox Christian. She said she was staying away from meat and other animal products during the six-week period leading up to Easter. And she said, when I saw an advertising banner, I could not help myself. I visited McDonald's and bought a cheeseburger. In her official complaint, she explains, in the actions of McDonald's, I see a violation of the consumer protection law. I asked the court to investigate, and if a violation has taken place, to oblige McDonald's to compensate me for moral damage in the amount of 1,000 rubles, which is about $14, which is probably about the price of a Big Mac these days at McDonald's. Self-control, brothers, self-control. Don't blame shift. Take responsibility and repent. And draw near to Jesus so he can produce this fruit of his spirit in you. Self-control. It comes from him. Brothers, to reflect the beauty of Christ to a watching world, you need this trait. Whether it's respect to food or drink or entertainment or the web or whatever, you need this trait. The church needs you to have this trait. You know, I pray through the fruit of the Spirit most days. Self-control is the last one. Would you younger men join me in that practice? Praying through the fruit of the Spirit for yourself? And make sure you get all the way to the end. That last one, self-control. Well, in the next few verses, Paul addresses Titus himself, and he calls him to, in verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching to show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And, of course, this is a really good word for those of us who teach in the church. But I want to run on to the, the fifth category of folk that Paul addresses, and they are bondservants or slaves. In verse 9, bondservants are, be to, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our God, of God our Savior. Um, slavery, the language that describes slavery in the New Testament is a tricky thing, right? Because it can mean plain old dark ownership of another like you would own a piece of equipment or a farm animal. Or it can be something more like an indentured servant who is under contract for a number of years and then released or at least able to purchase their freedom at that time. And these servants sometimes were actually considered part of the family or the household. Sometimes um, slaves even had their own slaves. So it's really hard to know which end of that spectrum Paul has in mind here, the translators of the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible that we're using have pushed it more towards that indentured servant kind of setup with the language of bondservant. And if that's the idea, it would have more direct application in our day to those of us who are workers. Um, I know some of you think your work is more like being a true slave than a bondservant, but it'll have more application to us as a, as a bondservant, as a worker. But before we rush to make application to workers, 
think with me about the application of this to actual slaves and what it would mean. Even a slave who is treated like a piece of property can make the doctrine of God beautiful by their life. Even they can. Perhaps especially they can. The difficulty of it may very well magnify the beauty of it. Even the worst of situations, believers who walk as Christ walked can beautifully honor him. It can't be taken away from us. It can't be. But for us here in this room, the happiest application of this is for our work, right? That we'd be employees who are in glad submission to our employers, our bosses. We'd be well-pleasing to them. We wouldn't pilfer stuff. We wouldn't steal our time or resources from the company. We'd be trustworthy. We'd be faithful. We wouldn't be argumentative. Yeah, I still remember. It happened 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, when I was working for an engineering firm in Dallas, Texas. And uh, one of my fellow engineers and our boss, it was after hours and they thought everyone else had gone and I was still working late. They literally were in a shouting match that I thought would come to blows over the way a particular um, engineering application functioned. And this engineer was going toe-to-toe with his boss at the top of his lungs, yelling at him about it, Um, really over pride not over the computer modeling practice. But believe me, that did not make him well-pleasing to the boss, right? Not pilfering, trustworthy, faithful, not argumentative, well-pleasing, in glad submission. That's us, right? That makes Christ beautiful where we work. There's a lady named Isabel Wolseley. And she remembered her husband coming back down from the attic after Christmas for another load of decorations to put away for the year. And he says to her, haven't you finished packing up the manger? And she says, you know, I think we're just going to leave it out this year. Sometimes the world seems out of control and Christmas seems very far away. And when it does, we can look on the mantle and remember that God is with us and that he'll make good on his promise of peace. I want to say we're that decoration, right? We're the decoration that declares to the world the beauty of Christ and his love so that by our lives, in everything, we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Paul wants Christmas lights out all year long, not not on our houses, but in our lives. And the question is, so how do I live like that? How do I live in such a way as to decorate Jesus with my everyday life And I I want to say scripture-fueled praying is essential to character transformation. It is essential. So can I challenge you, the stage of life, the category that you fit in, that you would take those traits and pray those for yourself and for the friends you have in our church who are in that same stage of life or same situation every day this week. Every day this week. Maybe longer if God prompts. And so to start us off this morning, I've asked five North Wakers, one in each of these categories, who are living well in these categories, to lead us in prayer uh, for each group that Paul has written to. And that's how we'll conclude our time together. Gene Woodall, 
Penny Keithley, Becky Hatfield, Devin Young, and Matt Williams are going to close us out in prayer for each group. They're going to pray for you. And so I hope you'll receive this prayer for you as you bow in prayer now. And then make it your practice to pray these things for yourself and those in your group here at North Wake. So let's bow together in prayer and let, let these brothers and sisters lead us during this time. Let us pray. Our God, you are loving, kind, and compassionate, full of grace and slow to anger. We agree with you that we have all sinned and deserve eternal separation from you. But because you love us, you gave your only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life and eternal communion with you. We thank you and praise you for your unfailing love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, thank you for preserving your holy word and giving us the opportunity to search and study your truth found in Titus chapter 2 that we might meditate over these verses to gain knowledge and wisdom in how we are to conduct our lives as Christians. We confess that we have worshipped too many gods. We have sought to find sources of life in all too many places. We turn to you and you alone to be our God, our only God. May we learn by your grace to say no to ungodliness and the kind of passions that this world indulges in. I pray we live life control, live self-controlled, upright, and God-centered lives. I pray you redeem us from all wickedness and purify us, that we may belong completely to you and be eager to do what is good, yes, the good that comes from the heart of Christ. Lord, I pray that we older men would be godly example before this world and before the body of Christ <clears throat> that would be pleasing to you, men that are temperate, worthy of respect, and self-controlled. May each of us be steadfast in faith and love and endurance. Lord, may we seek to grow closer and closer to you as the years go by and that we finish our mortal life well as we pursue heaven and eternity with you. Father, it doesn't seem that long ago that I was the younger woman designation, and I'm very thankful for those women, older in years and more mature than me, who spoke truth into my life at the right moment, who encouraged me when I was overwhelmed, challenged me and prayed for me. But now for myself and the other older women at North Wake, we ask to be filled with your spirit so we can live like Jesus. Put a guard over our mouths to keep us from slander and gossip. Keep us from excess of drink or any pleasure that would become an idol in our heart. Help us to be models of goodness and of right living, of wisdom for those coming behind us. Help us to be the fragrance of Christ, or as Pastor Larry said this morning, a dormant, an, uh, an ornament of your beauty. Let our words and deeds point these younger women always to you, Jesus. Aging can sometimes be discouraging. And we may believe the lie that our work is done or that only the young can accomplish important work for you. But help us not fall into that trap. 
Guide us to listen well to the young with humility and kindness. Keep us from being cranky and critical. We know this is not the time to quit. Let us not grow weary, but finish well. Continue to teach and encourage the younger women to love and serve their husbands and their children and make their home a priority. Whatever wisdom you've given us from our years of walking with you, give us the strength and willingness to share it generously, intentionally with the next generation and to cover all these efforts in prayer. Your will be done in us, Lord. Lord, you are holy and worthy of our reverence. I pray for myself and my other fellow young wives and mothers that we would honor you by truly leaning into a challenging season of high needs and little rest. May our lives be characterized by love. May we train ourselves and our children in righteousness. May we not despise the mundane tasks, but see them as opportunities for worship. May we bravely run towards opportunities to submit, seeing it as a way that we can model Jesus and his submission to the Father. May you purify our hearts and tongues. Do all of this for your glory and your honor. And Lord, you, we continue to pray that the young men, myself included, would be self-controlled. God, you have given us one task in Titus 2, and that is to be self-controlled. And God, we only do that with the power of your spirit. God, is a fruit of the spirit to be self-controlled, and God, I pray that you fill us with your spirit, that you help us to love well, you help us to care for those around us well, that you help us to, to see the needs of others as more significant than our own, that we would get outside of ourselves, that we would withstand temptations, that we would be measured, that we would withstand the temptations that the devil flings upon us. God, I pray that we would be, we would be self-controlled and that our self-control would set us apart and would show others your goodness and your grace and your kindness and the fact that you can transform lives. So God, I pray for all of us younger men that we would be self-controlled. Father God, we pray that you would have mercy on us and give us the grace to obey your word. For all of us in our vocations, would we apply this scripture to where you have us so that whatever we do, we would do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, and that we would be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. God, would we as Christians have actions, attitude, and speech that is seasoned with grace and truth and marked with integrity with all that we work with, whether it be supervisors, teachers, employees. God, we pray for those that we work with that those that we have difficult relationships, would you give us the wisdom and humility to love and care for those people that you place in our life with hope that people who are far from you might be brought closer to Jesus and how we 
act and talk at work. And God, we also pray for the over 40 million people that are made in your image that are in slavery and human trafficking. And God, we pray for justice and freedom and for this evil that especially preys on the poor and weak would be gone in our lifetime. And God, I pray that those of us who have been blessed with time, money, and resources from the jobs you have given us, would we help and give to organizations like International Justice Mission that are actively fighting to stop this evil and fight for those that are enslaved. God, help us. Lord, hear the prayers of your people. Amen. Amen. Well, as we dismiss today and uh, we head out to...